Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. He was playing Grove 23, and on the seventh hole, he got a hole in one. <laughs> Alan got a hole in one, and he said, you know what they do if you get a hole in one here? And this is a new club that's owned by Michael Jordan. I said, Jordan gives you a car because he can afford that? <laughs> no, they go. put your name on the flag. There's one other person on the flag at the seventh hole. Justin Thomas. Pretty good company. There's Justin Thomas and the socialite. That's so great. we are. That's just thrilling. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. For those of you who care about the planters that Michael made, and about the tomatoes and the peppers and the one lone zucchini plant. That are in the planters. You've not found the other zucchini plant. It's a surprise. Oh, I have not found it. No. (laughs) The owls are up. Nigel has put the owls up. They're terrifying. We don't know if they'll scare away the squirrels. (laughs) We've no idea. They scare us. Right. But the owls are up. You filled them with sand or dirt or what? Yes, got some sand. I got a sand guy. So I uh, made sure. Hall of Fame sand, that is? (laughs) Yes, Hall of Famer sand. The greatest toy of all time. And you think that the owls are sitting? I think so. I I don't worry about the peppers because, because for some reason, in all the years that we grew tomatoes and peppers together... It never seemed like squirrels cared about the peppers. No, they go for the tomatoes. The, they, because of the blossom end rot, they said to their friends, I'm not going to care about that. The one that junk. <laughs> the one tip that I've seen online about the, uh, the owls is that if you can move their placement from day to day so that they, the squirrels. Well, that's your job then. <laughs> that's my task. That's your new job. Instead of elf on a shelf, we have owl on a trowel. <laughs> right. That's, right. That's your new job. Uh, I. Texted back and forth with Alan, so the questions that nobody but me was asking, club and how many, yeah. uh, he had a 26 hybrid, okay. and this is his third. He said there's been a big gap between each of the hole-in-ones. So that's wonderful. You have one. I Just have one. none. I've never had one. I've been still time. relatively close, within a foot and a half, two feet. Yeah, you're, you're going to need a flag stick assist, I think. I'm not going to. I can't. I'm never going to get one. So I did play, though, yesterday, and I, I haven't said this to Michael, and I'm going to say this now. I went out early. Um... I went out, we had an 8 o'clock tea time so that I was able to play all 18 and still do the PTI things with the calls at 11 o'clock that I'm supposed to do. But when I was on the range and we were hitting off mats, I'm great off mats. Everybody's great off mats. You know, if you carry a mat with you, everybody would shoot 72. But I tried very hard, Michael, to slow my swing down, to just swing as sort of casually and lightly as possible. And in the round yesterday, it did not help. It did not help me off the tee. If I used an iron off the tee, it did not help me because I swung too hard uh, each time off a tee and I thinned it or just knocked it right into the ground. But I had four shots yesterday with sixes and sevens that were fabulous. You're back? Like, like they went between 130 and 145 yards. That's how golf gets you. They went up in the air. They felt great. They landed on the green. Now, they were often one shot too many. You know, they were a third shot because I had screwed up the second shot. I had buried a rescue into the ground 10 feet. But three or four of them felt great. 
Now, you need to approach every time you play a golf hole the way that you would this show in terms of prep, the way you do PTI, the way you write a column. You're, you're backwards planning. You're trying to work from the greens backwards, trying to figure out how to put yourself in position, whether that's for you know an easy bogey for you. Uh, are you learning after every shot? Are you looking at your strike on the club, on the ground, trying to figure out what your body's telling you and what that translates to on the course? Are you just trying to get in the cart and fly? Trying to get in the cart and fly, admiring the fact that I hit it pretty well and wondering how I was able to do that so since I'm it. never able to do that. Um, but it, you know, I did not score well. I shot 92. I didn't putt at all. I three putted almost every green. I did not score well, but I felt that I played well. I, I mean, I was really I can, I happy. I can hear it in your voice. I was really happy with the way I played because I got shots into the air. That's my whole task. Get it in the air. And so, um, I was really happy about that. I got a, um, so that was great fun. Um, I want to do that again, you know? I really want <laughs> sure. to do that again. So I get this text last night. I was watching the Nats for a while, and I should talk about this. I had forgotten this, but San Diego came to town. So Juan Soto was batting third or fourth mm-hmm. in the lineup, and I was on the game at the beginning of the game. Mackenzie Gore did not have a particularly good first three, four innings. He was not he was, sharp. He was amped up. He was not sharp, but... Juan Soto came up in the top of the first. And it wasn't a big crowd, half full. But there was a steady stream of applause that built for Juan Soto. That's great. And some people stood up for Juan Soto. Because it wasn't, it's not Juan, Juan Soto didn't leave. This ain't Bryce Harper. No. All right? He got traded away. Got traded away for people, by the way, Mackenzie Gore and C.J. Abrams, right? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're watching impact players from last night's game, which is one reason why Gore was so amped up and throwing a lot of pitches early. Yeah, he did. He had like over four, like 50 throwing pitches hard. in yeah. the first two innings. Oh, uh, yeah, that's tough. But Juan Soto got a very nice round of applause and doffed his hat to the people, which I thought was very, very nice. And then, of course, the broadcast showed some of his great hits. And you just sit there and you go, why did, yeah. you know, why why does this not, have to happen? Yeah, he had a great night. Too. Did he have three hits? Yeah, and and he's, uh, he had a slow start, and he's had a slow start since he's been with the Padres. But yes. he's had a much better uh, last two weeks, and they've been trying to move around that order. Uh, but I, you look at him, and I remember we had a, one of Walker's friends uh, moved out to San Diego, and you know you got to share the story of Juan Soto because they saw him here in D.C. And you know it's one of those things where that trade never works out in terms of us being on what feels like the losing side of it. But at least it went to a team that you could sort of support from afar and just always check in. You look at whenever you do those live looks at the MLB, you know, tonight coverages, and you always smile when you see Juan Soto. Yeah. And again, it's like every yeah. night, every time we do the kids' laundry, you see a Juan Soto shirt coming out of the coming out of the wash with a Trey Turner T, and you just... That's a lot of people had that on last night. A lot so of connect. people had Soto jerseys on last night. Um, am I wrong about this? Did Tatis, Tatis did not start the season with them, right? He was either he hurt was still or still suspended. suspended. Yeah, for the ringworm, I think. Right, yeah. yeah. So he didn't start the season. He hasn't played all the games like Dom Smith has played every <laughs> single game. He hasn't played all the games. Did you see Dom Smith last night? I'm going to get to Dom Smith in a second. Um, he hasn't played all the games. He's got seven home runs. Nobody on the Nats has seven home runs. Yeah. Nobody. You look, when they show people from other teams and how many home runs in RBI they have, you go, oh, 
Nobody has that so on the So that's how Nets. you play the game today. Yeah, nobody has that on the Nats. Yeah. Which brings us to Dom Smith. <laughs> what? Please say what you want to say. Well, so at this point, the Nats were down early. Uh, Gore's giving up some home runs, and they get back after C.J. Abrams' home run. It's a 2-2 game, and there's runners on, and there's a play to right field. Uh, Thomas makes a nice catch, and who, who, he has become known for his arm over the, you know, the he early can throw part it. of this season. Uh, he throws a bullet towards home to try and, you know, keep that runner on third. Dom Smith is, you know, who's in the cutoff position as the first baseman, mistakenly holds up the glove, stops the ball, runner, runner is able to score. Why are you doing that? Oh. Why are you doing that? So I get a text, a small text from Steve Rose. This is the text. Dom Smith stinks. <laughs> Let me just say it is graduation season, so TK5, maybe someone should have held up the you know five to stop him from putting up the glove hand, but... Yeah, that's, he had another two hits last night. Singles, I'm sure. Just a little single. Yes, S-I-N-G-L-E. He bats two seventy five. Yeah, it's, he has one home run. How many RBI now? Twelve. I can look that up for you. I don't think it is twelve. He has one home run. He had no RBI last night. But he had two hits. He has the most meaningless hits of any player in baseball. He plays every inning of every game, and I can only think, Michael. That they're trying to showcase him to move him by the June 15th deadline, right? 13 RBI right now. 13, okay. Baker's doesn't. Plays every inning of every game. There's no, there's nobody in the farm system you want to see at first. There's no third baseman you want to see if they could play. It's a power position. Yeah, you go to get power out First, of third in the outfield, power positions. Yeah. He's got one home run. Yeah. You really think there'd be a buyer for, for that bat? Every year, the Nats have a first baseman who disappears in the middle of the year and ends up on another team. <laughs> Playoff contender. Every year. Yeah. Right? So, since Ryan Zimmerman. Every year. Schwarber, uh, Bell. Yeah. Why wouldn't Dominic Smith end up somewhere? Do you hold out hope? I know Barry wrote about this the other day. That, no, you know, I don't. I you, love Barry. but <laughs> I don't hold out hope Soto? he's going to sign here. <laughs> yeah. Soto. No, I don't. So, we'll take a break. Greg Cody will join us. We, we have Greg Cody and Bob Ryan today because we have people involved in um, what is now not a sweep. Miami did not sweep Boston out, but I thought they would. Well, there's another sweep possible for, for the Florida Panthers. Yeah, well, I got I have that written down too. Greg Cody is suddenly sitting on the playoff capital of the world <laughs> yes, in Miami. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Chris Martin, who writes, Two more from Jason Ekman and his band Side Yard Sanctuary from Fort Collins, Colorado, in honor of Denver defeating the Lakers and advancing to the finals for the first time. First time. We'd like to officially invite the whole TK team to hop on the Nuggets bandwagon. All are welcome, except Saliza. <laughs> He's a Loomis Pelican for life. <laughs> this is called Grace on the Ecliptic. 
and it is by Side Yard Sanctuary. It plays in our friend Greg Cody, who is sitting like at the epicenter of sports at the moment in Miami as the Florida Panthers and the Miami Heat will look like they're going to make the finals. I, which is the bigger surprise to you, Greg? Wow. Um, you know, if, if it could be a tie for first, I would say both. Yeah. Obviously, but um, I think the Panthers only because, you know, the Heat have a, a pedigree with three championships, and Panthers have, have really done nothing since 1996 <laughs> when they reached the, the finals the only time. So I think that historically I think the Panthers are the bigger story, but they're both, you know, coming from number eight seeds, they're both astounding down here. Yeah, these are low-level playoff teams. Uh, Miami had to go through the play-in and lost the game. Um, oh, yeah. You know, when we're facing yep. elimination, the, the Florida Panthers, you know, they're the eight seed. There is no nine seed. That's it. Right. And they've gone through the Panthers. Well, I mean, I understand beating Milwaukee is a big deal for the Heat. But beating Boston, Greg, the team with the greatest regular season record of all time, that's a greater accomplishment to me. How about to you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're down 3-1 to to the Bruins, who had the best regular season. And they win three elimination. Pardon me. Um, Tony, you are getting someone who is exhausted, oh. to be honest with you. So pardon my voice. Why are you um, exhausted? Does it tell me it has to do with Lebetard and <laughs> Please. Uh, I've had a bunch of, uh, you know, these are all like 8.30 games. Yeah. You know, Heat one night, Panthers the next night. I had Heat last night. I got Panthers tonight. I'm not complaining, but it is sort of a cocktail of, of exhaustion and exhilaration for me down here. So my voice is a little scratchy. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the the Panthers win three elimination games in a row, two of them on the road, against maybe the best hockey team ever. 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 Yeah, it, it's astounding what, what's happening. The only thing I would say is that these are not two typical number eight seeds. You know, keep in mind, a year ago, they both had the best record in their conference. That's right. Uh, and, and then they each, uh, you know, sort of tough through seasons of, of change and injury so in my mind you know they're they're more like three or four or five seeds realistically as far as talent and everything but still they're eight seeds and and they're about to become the first two number eight seeds to make the stanley cup final and the nba finals in the same season let alone from the same market so it's astounding what's going on down here. it really is i mean um I should ask this, are the Panthers, I understand that basketball, it's a beautiful new arena and it's packed all the time. Are the Panthers, are they they're still in Broward County? Are they popular in the Miami area or is, is it just a very niche situation? Uh, they're, no, they're popular. They're, they're, they're popular. They're, um, they're more popular than the Marlins. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, t- Tony, this is a football town. Yes. You know that. I mean, this yes. is a dolphin town. When the Hurricanes are winning, it's a Dolphin and college football town. But the Heat are next, and then it's the Panthers. Um, so yeah, this is uh, the Panthers are, are big. They're, they're you know they're not uh, basketball, but they're they're a big town, and and fans are getting into it right now. So it's uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting down here. Um, we all know that Jimmy Butler is a great great playoff player. 
uh, Kachuk seems to be a great, great playoff player. Are they thought about in the same way in Miami? There's a lot of parallels between the Heat and the Panthers right now. You know, both had very disappointing regular seasons compared to last year. Yeah, Both came on strong to barely make the playoffs. And you're right, they they have parallels. Uh, uh, Playoff Jimmy in basketball and Kachuk, who... Kachucky. It's funny down here in, on the Panthers. Everybody's got a nickname. Sure. You, you know, the, it's Kachucky. It's Barky. It's this. Um, yeah, Kachuk has, has been, what a trade that was. Kachuk has, has really, but Bobrovsky, the goalie, Sergei Bobrovsky has been the, the player of the playoffs. He's the one, he's the reason that they're, uh, you know, one went away from the Stanley Cup final, the goalie. You know, they always say in hockey, if if you have a hot hand in goal, ride it, because that's yeah. what's going to carry you. Yeah. And that's absolutely been the case down here. Greg, I, I'm glad you mentioned the football thing, because I had written that down. Because, I mean, in my mind, at my age, Miami is first and foremost a football town. I mean, the Dolphins were the first pro team that they got. The, the Hurricanes are, you know, been around forever and ever and ever, and so much is expected of them. When I see crowds at other venues for other sports i mean i just sort of smirk because i know that that if the dolphins played at four in the morning it would be more important than anything else right it would be oh sure yeah i always joke that if i write a column about you know who's going to win the dolphins backup punter job it's probably going to get more eyeballs than than if i write about kachuk Um, yeah but you know at the same time what's happening right now is is unparalleled there's just no precedent for it. And, yeah, it, it's definitely always going to be a football time. The only time I felt like that changed, I, I think it, it became a basketball. Basketball borrowed the town during the Big Three era when right. LeBron was here, you know, during the 2011 to 14. But it's always going to be a football town. But right now, you know, it's being borrowed by basketball again and by hockey. Yeah. You know, and, and for hockey – it's the first time in 27 years that they've mattered down here. You know, Barbrowski, who's an old player, was a seven-year-old kid in, in southwestern Siberia, uh, in Russia, when, when, when they last mattered. So it, it's uh, a marvel what's happening down here. It's interesting, though, I mean, because I do remember this. I remember asking people, well, how's hockey doing in, in Broward County? And they say, you got to remember, there are so many Canadians that come down and spend their winters here, and they go to these games. Is that still true? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, this is uh, yeah, this is Canada North. Yeah, I mean, you 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 get a lot of uh, fans down here from from Toronto, from Montreal. When they beat Toronto, they didn't just beat Boston in the first series, the greatest team ever, supposedly. Then they beat Toronto, the epicenter of hockey. You know, Toronto. Other than Boston, Toronto had the, maybe the greatest regular season. They're thinking of finally ending Canada's long Stanley yeah, Cup drought. You're right. And this is who they beat. Yeah. Boston and then Toronto, and now Carolina's a great team with Rod Brindamar. So it, it's what a run they've been on. I, you know, I'm a jaded old sports writer. I don't get like this, but what's happening right now is just it's unlike anything I've ever uh, witnessed or covered. I can understand that. Which team do you think is more likely to win the championship? I would say the Panthers. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. You know, yeah, I would say the Panthers because, you know, you're, you're running up against <laughs> Jokic, you know, in Denver. And, and Denver, it, it, it's funny, um, who's the Cinderella here? You know, you've got the, the, the Heat, who would be going in as the number eight seed. You've got Denver, which has never won anything in 56 years. So who's the Cinderella here? I don't, you know, it. I, I don't think, I don't think either of these finals is a uh, is a darling for TV networks or fans. Agreed. Necessarily, but I think it's ratings death. You know, it is. I think <laughs> ratings yeah. death because if you it if is. you gave people Celtics Lakers, you'd get casual fans. If you give people yeah. Denver, I said this on television yesterday. Denver's in the fourth time zone. People don't even know there is a fourth time zone. They don't right. think there's four. I mean, Dan, nobody no. knows anything about Denver. And in hockey, you know, you're putting uh, cities out there that don't even get snow. You know, they don't right. get... So it, it's a weird thing. Um, I, should, I, I do want to ask you this. I guess I didn't realize this. I guess I didn't realize how long Eric Spolstra has been there and how good Eric Spolstra is. Yep. Yeah. No doubt. And then... Contrasted uh, against Missoula, who's who's a, a novice yeah. neophyte coach for the Celtics. Now, having said that, obviously the Celtics won big last night, and uh, I, th- I think I would be a little bit a little bit worried if I were the the Heat right now because no team in NBA history has ever blown Three a three nothing lead. Right. But if there's ever going to be a first. Based on the third quarter I saw last night, I would be a little concerned. That's one of the things I love about a seven-game series is that the whole narrative flips with every result, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you've gone from three nothing to three to one, and and suddenly it's you know what? Okay, Boston's probably going to win at home. I don't know. They don't win at home. They don't win at they home. They don't. You're you're right. They're eleven and twelve in the last twenty-three games at home, but. They're going to be favored. Let's say they yep. win at home. All of a sudden, they're coming back to Miami at 3-2, and all of the pressure is, is on Miami to avoid a Game 7 Absolutely. back in Boston. So, Absolutely. You know, so it, 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 what last night meant it, to me is that the, the series got a little bit interesting. You know, it's no longer a given. Thank you. Can you, you want to plug your podcast for us so you can get some listeners? Well, Tony, you, uh, you graced me to be on it uh, a few months ago, and it's the Greg Cody Show. I couldn't come up with a, a more original name, so it's eponymous. <laughs> and uh, I invite you all to check it out. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. That. Anytime, Tony. Greg Cody, boys and girls. We'll take a break. Bob Ryan, the quintessential American sports writer. Uh, he'll join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're listening listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Side Yard Sanctuary from Fort Collins, Colorado. This is a song called Ship is Sinking. Now, we don't want to confuse that with Michael Ray Richardson saying of the Knicks (laughs) at one point, the ship be sinking. This is not the ship be sinking. This is simply ship is sinking. 
Michael, if uh, bands like Sideyard Sanctuary want to send us their music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. And Chip is sinking place in Bob Ryan, the quintessential American sports writer. And when I thought it'd be good to get Bob on, I have to concede that I thought that Miami at home was going to win game four and sweep the Celtics out of the series and maybe sweep Joe Missoula out of a job. But Boston hung on and Boston lives to go back home, which is no great big deal because they have a losing record at home in the playoffs. Like I bet them on bet on them in a game seven, but not in any other games. And I guess let me just start with the overall. With the Celtics losing, and since nobody has ever uh, in 149 tries in the history of the NBA come back from 03, I'm going to assume they're going to lose. The way that the Bruins went out and the way that the Celtics may well go out, what is the mood in Boston? Somber, predictably. Uh, This is a big letdown. That's certainly a gentle description of of what it would be like if, if, uh, if, if when this finally happens and, and they have joined the Bruins in, in ignominy. You know, the Bruins have yeah. had this record-setting season. Uh, the Celtics didn't have that kind of a year. They won a, a routine 57 in that franchise. That, 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 that disqualifies you as, you know, being pretty good. But uh, the thing is, they went in as a, I won't say prohibitive, but a, a nominal favorite to win the whole thing. Uh, and and with good reason, and uh, they they uh, they are underperforming. Uh, but re- with regard to the um, uh, venue of games, it is absolutely irrelevant. As you pointed out, they they lose at home with with starting yeah. regularity. Yeah, and they can win anywhere. And they can lose anywhere. That, that, so where the game is, honest to God. Now you you'd say, okay, look at the way they trounced Philadelphia last Sunday. Yes, that's true. That happened. But we can point to other examples where uh, not, not you know where they weren't so good, including that same series. So anyway, to answer your question, naturally it's somber around here, and and there was great expectation, and and this is a major letdown. I would have to say, I mean, I know you have described them as maddening and confounding all year long, but you could not have expected them to go down 3-0. I mean, you know, I, I thought they'd win the series in four or five games. I thought the Lakers had a better chance to win more games against Denver than I thought Miami did against Boston. Right? 3-0 is, is like, what? Right? My, my call before the playoffs, when Miami was in a play-in, I said, if Atlanta wins, Celtics in five. If Miami wins, Celtics in six. And I stuck with that. Uh, mm-hmm. I said, when I was asked prior to this series, I said, a grinding six. I had total respect for Miami's spunk, the, the Wiley-ism uh, that, they, that they exhibit every game. Uh, that, that's, that's clear. So I, I said, it wasn't going to be easy. It was going to be a tooth pull, but the Celtics will get it done. That's what I thought before it happened. So, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm very surprised that it's 3-0. Now, with regard to the 3-0 thing, three teams have come back to force a seventh game. Uh, and my theory in sports is everything's true till it's not true. Right. And and and, and I you know lived through 2004. I walked out of Fenway Park having written an scorching column, uh, blasting the Red Sox for for uh, the, the hubris of thinking they could beat the Yankees. They just got beat 19 to eight, and and we're and are going to face elimination. And we all know what happened in baseball. The only time it has happened, it's never happened in basketball. But I'll give you one, Tony, that you can relate to. Hockey. Uh, your, your your beloved Knicks. Uh, oh. uh, uh, and the 51 Knicks, I mean, who could forget the 51 Knicks? <laughs> they were down 0-3 to Rochester, 
and won the next three, and with one minute left in Game 7, the score was tied. And Bobby Davies, advanced, a Hall of Famer, advanced up the court where he was met by Tricky Dick McGuire, and there was a collision of bodies, and the referee blew the whistle, and everyone waited to see the fateful call, and he put his hands on his hips and said, block. Davies went to the line, made the two free throws, and that's how the Rochester Royals spoiled the Knicks' comeback. That was going back pretty, making it pretty possible. So there's, there's hope. There's, if you want looking for hope, Celtic fans, there it is right there. Do you think... Uh, in the post-mortem, I'm going to make the assumption that the Celtics will lose for the purposes of mm-hmm. this question. Do you think that the Philadelphia series took too much out of them, that Philadelphia mattered more to them, that beating Philadelphia was an achievement in and of itself, that, and they, were just, they didn't care as much about Miami? I have no evidence of that. For one reason, I don't know that this group uh, has any feeling about the history of the Celtics and 76ers mm-hmm. or the Celtics and Philadelphia, including the, the Warriors, Warriors yeah. prior to their skedaddling off the Oakland in 1962. So San Francisco, excuse me, in 62. Um, no, not necessarily. Uh, this, is, this is just a, a, an indictment of, of, of who they are until proven otherwise. Uh, they, they, they are mentally soft. Uh, they are talented. I still insist that the most talented Here's the thing, though, Tony. If it were 11 on 11, the Celtics would win every game. Nobody has more good players, except that uh, they don't need Luke Cornett and, and Mike Muscala and, 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 or Peyton Pritchard. And so they, it's, it's down to eight, and, and, and their eight is still very good, and I think as good as anybody's eight. It's how they play. It's how they approach things. It, it, it's, it's, it's all the stuff from the head and the heart, not the talent. Missoula has been getting a lot of criticism very recently, at least maybe it was around before, but I've just heard it recently and I've heard it from Wilbon, who I'm sure is getting it from Barkley and Magic or something like that. (laughs) Um, Is Missoula not up to the moment? You wouldn't have known that during the regular season. Well, because the regular season is the regular season and the playoffs are the playoffs. And, right. and, and, and he is being uh, exposed for, as, the, as the on-the-job trainee youngster that he is. He's 34. His previous head coaching experience was Fairmont State, D2. Virginia, yeah. uh, Division II. Uh, he, he was uh, not even the prime assistant. Uh, he was on the second row at the hierarchy of NBA assistant coaches is that there's two tiers, and he was on the second tier. People wondered why they didn't name Damon Stoudemire who was, uh, instead of him. Uh, now, this is all on Brad Stevens. Brad has faith in him, and he anointed this guy, and, and uh, his, his shortcomings uh, are being exposed in the playoffs. doesn't mean he can't immature into becoming the next Eric Spolster, but right now he's far from that. Yes, he's being pilloried here. He's being, he's being hammered. And, and disproportionately, though, I mean, yes, he has some flaws, but you can't hang him for that disgraceful third game. And, and him taking the blame, saying, I didn't get them ready to play. What? You're, if you're not ready to play that game and you're a Celtic, then you're a disgraceful person. I mean, seriously. How can they not be ready to play? How can you not know the circumstances? How can you not? And, and remember, Tony, this is not a young team. This is a veteran team. Yes. The, the core guys have been together for uh, uh, for. Minimum five years now, uh, with with Tatum being the youngest of the three of Smart and Brown and Tatum, uh, they're not, and they and they're, they're mature as in pros as pros they should be mature. The talent wise, they are, but um, you know emotionally they still have something to prove. Was there any effort? Is there any effort to say to Brad Stevens, sit on the bench with him, help him through it? Uh, not that I know of. We don't know what internal discussions took place. But the one thing that was clear from the beginning that it would have been advisable, as it always is in these circumstances, because these circumstances uh, to get. 
get a veteran sage. Uh, get get yeah. get a Yoda yeah. next to you. Yeah. Go find one. What find your text winner. Uh, you know, when Chuck Daly got the Sixer job, first thing he did was go get Jack McMahon to sit next to him. And, and uh, that, so um, that's that should have been done. And I'll put that on Brad. That should have that should have been absolutely. They were good. Just do it, and and give this kid some help. And uh, he didn't do that. And and, and they were left. Uh, so I don't know what how other voices advise him uh, at all. I don't know how often Brad talks to him uh, about it. Or how he you know feels he doesn't want to butt in. Or I have no idea. We're not sure what goes on behind those closed doors. But we just see the results, and they're not what they ought to be. So yesterday we had P.K. Subban on the PTI show, who was a total delight, total delight. And one thing came up that I'm going to ask you about. Do you think we've had a sweep now? The Lakers were swept out. It certainly looks like we're going to get sweeps both ways in the NHL. Are you more surprised in the playoffs by NHL sweeps or NBA sweeps? (laughs) Hmm. 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 Um. Probably NBA because the NHL, for one thing, if you run into the the quote unquote goalie uh, standing on his head yeah. syndrome, you would want to lose. And and you know, we've seen countless examples of that in the NHL. So that, that when the playoffs start in those two sports, no position is more important than the hockey goalie. And 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 they you cannot win a Stanley Cup. I think I'll say categorically with average or mediocre or, or just get by good enough to win goaltending. You need outstanding goaltending, and if and, and if you're getting that, you have a chance. So I would say uh, hockey is more likely. Uh, and I don't know the numbers though. I don't know the numbers to how many hockey sweeps uh, uh, versus NBA sweeps. But I'm I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. Yeah, I wouldn't expect. I expect them less and less in conference finals. I expect them more in first rounds, but uh, so I'm surprised. You know, it took 13 years for the NBA to get a sweep, uh, and it so happened it was the 59 Celtics who swept the Minneapolis Lakers of right. Elgin Baylor, uh, and that was it, that. So the, the first 13 years of the NBA uh, playoffs, there were no sweeps. All right. Did you notice that LeBron seemed to be mulling retirement out loud Ooh. the other day? What do you make of that? Wasn't ready for that. Yeah. We once uh, that, you know that uh, that I don't know how much this jarred him. I don't know what. He thought the team was capable of. Did he honestly, in his heart, think that this was a championship possibility uh, with this group? If so, then he, you know, he was obviously right. mistaken. Uh, uh, I don't know, and of course, we don't know about the whole thing about wanting to play with Bronny uh, uh, and, and all that. And you know, that that's a long way away from fruition. We don't know really how good Bronny really is. We're going to get a glimpse of it next year at SC. Uh, yeah, I was surprised though. Coming off, you know, but he he would if he were to retire. It would go down as, uh, uh, you know, I think the best retirement uh, farewell season of an of an NBA player. Uh, uh, I would think of uh, Jerry West went out scoring 20 points a game, I believe. Uh, uh, but uh, and Kareem you went out uh, having lost a, cha- a championship uh, uh, finals, and, and he was you know diminished. He wasn't into what he had been. But LeBron and, and a playoffs. This was this not his highest scoring playoff run ever. He, he's your, your point total. I, I think so. he is the best 38 year old basketball player of all time. And I'm I think, on record as saying that. I think uh, what people fact, had need and, to remember is he came into the league right out of high school. So he's played 20 years. He's played 20 years. He's, 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 he's played. He's been in the league longer than he was alive before he played in the league, which is a very rare circumstance. Yes, uh, which uh, which couldn't have happened 30 years ago, but it's very possible now. No, I, I in the Sunday paper last week, I, I I wrote that turn on your TV 
Monday night to see the greatest 38-year-old player ever. Yeah. People say, well, Kareem won a championship at 38 and was MVP of the finals in 85. Yeah, but he, but he, wasn't, he wasn't anywhere near his peak efficiency. Uh, but LeBron is still a very, very viable NBA force. I agree with that. Um, if indeed the Celtics lose Game 5, we're going to have a seven-day layoff until <laughs> the start of the finals. I would say to Adam Silver, go to ESPN and ABC and say, let's have flexibility here. Let's start early. I don't know that they're going to do that. Would you do that? I would, of course, but we would, you know, you, me, and 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 and, and rational people who are sports fans would do a lot of things that, that they don't want to do. Let's talk about flexing football games for someday. Right. You know, this this outrageous uh, ignorant ignoring of the fan, of the people, the paying customer that's being screwed. Well, that's, I'm sorry, I'm, I have to get down off the soapbox now. No, uh, yes, it would be the logical thing to do if you could, but then again, uh, everything's all about, you know what, it's all about TV. It's all about yeah. TV's whims. It's all about TV's desires. So they have to come to grips with ABC about that, and I doubt very much ABC would want to change. Really? I think ABC would. I mean, well, certainly so. ESPN would. I, I think ABC would just on the grounds that you have a chance of getting more eyeballs well, if right. you put I it on. thinking about them doing whatever they want to do, and we can't, you know, and the public yeah. be damned. No, good okay. point. Yeah, I, I, I will have to stand corrected. But yes, that would certainly be in the, everyone's best interest if, if they were to do that. That's what I think. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. Thank you. You you're welcome. Take care. Bob Ryan, it's always a pleasure. Um, we will take a break and we will have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews or coverage of all the biggest stories in the nba our new show is the place to be five days a week download and follow beyond the arc on apple podcasts spotify and wherever you get your favorite podcasts you're listening to the tony kornheiser show the tony kornheiser show here comes tony's mailbag got your email faxes and notes here comes tony's mailbag gonna read some for all your folks Mail now, baby. So that's Hot Pink Hangover, and they're going to reunite for one concert right? yes. in Minnesota. Yes. But from Joe Pearson in Indianapolis, he writes, you don't have to travel to Minnesota to see the Hot Pink Hangover reunion. You can get a ticket to the live stream for five bucks, of course, since that's on the computer and also starts at 8 p.m. D.C. time. I don't expect you'll partake, Tony, but I thought the rest of the littles would like to know. Yes, August 5th. In that's Minneapolis. Lovely. That's lovely. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad for us? Uh, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Got the hot bagels today. Sesame. Very excited. Happy about that. Yes. You stop in and you will be thrilled. All right. Um, before we get to the mailbag, let me just say that yesterday Nigel said, I could give you the first line, but I think you'll get it. And I said, of course I'm going to get it. I get everything. <laughs> And he says, I pulled into Nazareth, and I said, was feeling about half past dead. Just need some place where I can lay my head. Hey, mister, can you tell me where a man might find a bed? He just grinned, shook my hand, and said, no, was all he said. That's the weight. That's uh, the band. The band started out, called themselves the band because they were the band that backed up Bob Dylan. Yes. Uh, and they played, they created songs in a house in Woodstock, New York. 
a big pink house. Yeah, big pink, right? That Songs was referred pink. to as big pink. Yeah, which is how they started. <laughs> they were really, they were great. Yes, they were great. Thanks to our guests today, Bob Ryan and Greg Cody. Thanks as well to today's sponsors, HelloFresh and Priceline. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. Let's read some emails here. Uh, From Brian Bellinger in Franklin, Massachusetts. I can't tell you how happy it made me to hear you open Monday's show reading the email about upstate New York. As a native of Livingston, New York, I can't stand when central, western, or southern tier New Yorkers call themselves upstate. To be specific, upstate begins on the southern border of Columbia County, extends as far west as Amsterdam, as far north as Glens Falls, hometown of Dave Carpenter, my roommate in college, and to the Vermont and Massachusetts borders to the east. That's it. That's the list. I really enjoy when we get geographical things like this. Absolutely. It reminds me of Wilbon in this regard. Wilbon said something yesterday on PTI. It was just incredible to me. The American League East is the greatest division in baseball. The worst team in it is like 10 games over 500. It's better than any other division by miles and miles and miles and produces wonderful games and wonderful performances. I don't care about it. I don't care about it because of where it is. Yeah, you'd ask him about the Orioles-Yankees series. I don't care. I don't care. So Will Bond's fandom (laughs) extends just to the limits of the geography he cares about. That's ridiculous. You're not a fan. You're not. You just care about specific, your specific teams. You don't appreciate how great this division is because some of it is on I-95? Come on. But they celebrate all the teams in that region, all the sports. What do you mean? No, he always goes on and on about how, no, we don't just watch the Cubs. We go back, you know, <laughs> right. we right, support no. all yeah. the teams. But he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. It just, it's insane. It's not being a fan. Matt Weissman, Berkeley Heights, New Jersey. When I was a kid, and I'm now a man plus five years, my mother and grandmother taught me there are four sections of New York State. The city, the island, Westchester, and upstate. That's it. That's the list. That's what I grew up thinking. That checks out, yeah. That when you were north of the Tappan Zee Bridge. (laughs) It was upstate. It was upstate. (laughs) All of it. All of it. All the way to Buffalo. All the way to Messina. All, All the way up to the Canadian border. No, that's all of it. Alex Lau in New York City. Joe Bianchino of Latham, New York, was right to correct the common misperception that everything between Yankee Stadium and Canada is upstate New York. (laughs) But not for the reasons he stated. As a current New York City resident and former Long Island resident, I'd like to set the record straight that anything north of Westchester County isn't upstate New York, but is in fact Canada. And is most importantly for (laughs) Wilbon, part of the Midwest. And that's also how, when you grow up on Long Island or New York City, that's how you feel. From Irwin... um, Erwin, E-R-W-I-N. All the talk about Rochester and Wegmans White Hots got me curious. I've never heard of them until now, but Tony's ravings can't be ignored. I decided to order some from Zweigel's, the makers, all the way from Portland, Oregon. $82 shipped for seven pounds, so if Tony wants some, it's easy to order online. Michael may have to do it. Looking forward to trying it. Let us Pacific Northwesterners know if there's any Northeast foods we should try. We should try Speedy's, of course. Yes. The native food of Binghamton, we should try that. Uh, from Chip Robinson in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. The other night, I'm moving my car off the street and into the driveway. Guy's walking his dog, slowly making his way past. He lingers a bit after I get out of the car. Can I ask you a stupid question, he says? Sure. Are you Chip? <laughs> a brief context note. I pastor a small church locally, and my wife was born and raised here, so it's not altogether unusual for someone to recognize me. My non-masculine children rightly mock me as being an O-list celebrity. Are you Chip, he asks. I am. 
Lachiserie, he exclaims. Turns out this dopey show about DC weather and patterned underwear helped me meet a neighbor who lives just across the pond from my backyard. So if you get a chance, tell Bill it was good to meet him and his dog. I didn't meet his boys yet, though, so they don't get a shout out. Tell them to eat it. All about that Modell. We've got uh, a haiku from Shad um, for the green teas. Hold at the white teas. Green teas are an admission of failure and death. Um... From Strike DC, your Japanese friends will likely correct, but not. But the course Bill Murray played in Lost in Translation is not Kawanafuji course. It's Kawaguchiko Country Club, southwest of Tokyo. I have the shot as my phone wallpaper screen. It's attached. Laura Little, and he, and he shows that. Yeah, it, it, Bill Murray's taking a driver, and he's swinging, and in the background is Mount Fuji. So, I mean, I just figured that was it. It's a great shot. It really is. So maybe I'm wrong about that. Like 280 down the middle? Felt like it. Yep. At that time, that's 30 years ago. So Bill Murray is 40 years old, something like that. Early he's, 40s. he's actually a pretty good golfer, isn't he? Yes. Yes. Pretty good athlete. I mean, athletics runs in that family. His son is a, oh, that's is a right. college basketball coach. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. From Dave Schramm in Colchester, Vermont. I keep expecting the one in a million game to run out of steam, so I haven't sent this, but it keeps chugging along, so here's mine. In 1992, I was working as an insurance broker in Milton, Vermont a town of about 8,000 people, when a young woman walked into the office. Claire was new to the area. She needed auto insurance. She sat down with me, and after a bit of chatting, she asked, you from New York? I was, and I told her I was surprised she could hear an accent since I'd moved from New York a long time ago. She replied that as a former New Yorker herself, she was probably more attuned to it. We moved on. What is your date of birth, I asked. She replied, 12-2-66. No kidding, same for me. <laughs> Were you born in New York, I asked. She was. Queen, she replied. Me too, I said. Do you know what hospital? Jamaica Heights, she replied. No way. <laughs> Me too. A quick call to our respective mothers, and we'd learn we'd been born hours apart in the same hospital on the same day 26 years earlier. After telling my mom, she pointed out that unlike today, back then all the expectant moms sat in a room together, and with nothing to do, they chatted about prospective names and such. Given the delivery times, it was likely that my mom and dad sat with Claire's mom and dad, and Claire and I were in the same nursery. Ridiculous. <laughs> Dave Schramm. It is ridiculous. Love that. Gary Pitts in Knoxville, Tennessee. I really like this one. I was married in March. What am I, chopped liver? Because we talk about wedding <laughs> season. Wedding season. <laughs> what am I, chopped liver? Call that preseason. Just yes, wonderful. Um, hearing you mention these buffets, the all-you-can-eat buffets, oh, hearing right. you mention oh, you these buffets to took me back to med school when I had virtually no money. My friends and I would go to a hotel that had a Sunday brunch buffet when it opened at 8 in the morning, stuff ourselves with breakfast, then study for several hours at the table, much to the displeasure of the manager, (laughs) then go back around noon and fill up on lunch. (laughs) Open invitation to play my home course, Old Field Country Club, in Bluffton, South Carolina. What? We're going to have to check the name on this. What? Uh, If you and Michael ever get this way, DG, not that DG, Don Gray. We think of Oldfield as being in That's my my home course at Okatee, down south at Okatee, where Michael did I believe I have a hole in one on number three, playing Ooh. into a little bit of a breeze. The front third, so, but it's pin, not in Bluffton. This is about nice. fifteen miles north of Bluffton, or yeah. is it north of Buford? It's uh, it is between just north, Bluff- just north of Bluffton, but not by much. So we got to get Don Gray. We got to if it's if it's Oldfield, we have played Oldfield a lot. Eric will be on this one for us. Okay, um, <laughs> Rich Johnson sends a. a uh, an international uh, a screenshot of an international market in Las Vegas, which is just loaded with Haribo. All sorts of Haribo. It's just a thousand yes. things from Haribo. From Michael McGillivray 
the unofficial car deal of the Tony Kornheiser show. According to the latest Forbes Rich List, John Wall is the 41st highest paid athlete in the world. <laughs> in the world. Since he only started three games, I'm begging, I'm beginning to think John Wall is the smartest man in the room. John Wall. Is he making like 45 million, something like that? Yeah. yeah. We'll do one more and we'll get out of here. This is from Thomas Till in Orange, Virginia. As a native Long Islander, surely you've heard of Young's Farm in Old Brookville. It's on the North Shore. Old Brookville is where C.W. Post College is, beautiful area of the North Shore of Nassau County. Though I cannot claim the exalted status of a native Long Islander, I did spend half a lifetime visiting my grandparents uh, near Port Washington. They belong to Brookville Country Club, and Young's, Young's Farm, sits still, still sits not even a mile away. Since we always passed it going to and from the club, we'd stop any number of times during the growing season to grab God knows how many years of the best yellow corn you could ever find. The taste was pure sweet magic. That's golden bantam corn. It's just spectacular. It is. Brookville, by the way, is its own character in this tale. The club fathers had pretenses so grandiose that they demanded and got approval for both a sleep room and a nap room before a massive clubhouse renovation 30-plus years ago. The membership also included a healthy number of representatives of the New York City and Long Island sanitation industry. And their hijinks included biting another member. Yes, biting him. Pulling a gun on a bartender. Demanding a waitress be fired because she wasn't classy enough. To be fair, they were not alone in that mission. And the capo de tutti copy, one especially wealthy waste management titan, treating every member to a day pass at Piping Rock. Yes, that Piping, Piping Rock's a great club on the North Shore. So he could have the entire club for his daughter's wedding reception. Side note, for a wedding gift, rather than a luxury car, a trip around the world, or even a home, he gifted her a TCBY yogurt franchise. That's a money-making machine, kids. <laughs> yes. At one membership meeting, my grandfather, a Bronx Irish Catholic, who by that time had to carry an oxygen tank wherever he went, but who was as tough and as singularly irreverent as ever, pointed somewhat less than politely to those and other incidents as examples of ineffective marketing tactics for a club seeking to become a bastion of blue bloods. Thanks, as always, for the laughs. And P.S., I can testify to Wegman's greatness. There is no equal. It's Wegman's, I once heard a husband tell his wife as I was leaving, when she insisted they only needed a couple of items. <laughs> Indeed. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. What a waste of time. God.
Just time.